Welcome to The Lead, a podcast where we learn how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did it. I'm Charlotte Northworthy. On this season five finale of The Lead, I talked to father-son duo Dink and Eric Neesmith, president and vice president of Community Newspapers Incorporated, a newspaper company based in Athens that owns 26 newspapers in Georgia, Florida, and North Carolina. Over the course of several decades, this company's leaders have seen a lot of fluctuation in the newspaper business, but in this episode, we talk about the crucial mission that these papers still serve. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership as a part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Welcome. Dink and Eric, it's, it's a pleasure to have you both on the show. Dink, I was looking through the history of your company, Community mm-hmm. Newspapers, one that spans almost 30 years uh, with your leadership. And so I can only imagine the change that you've seen in the newspaper industry, thanks to the digital age and probably other things that I'm not thinking about. You sort of adopted the idea of an entrepreneurial journalist before that term was even coined. So can you explain from a business perspective what that change has meant from your company from when you first started until now? We're continuing today the same we did decades ago, looking for young folks, young talent. We're looking for talent of all ages, but specifically people that are trying to get started. And we have a policy in our company that we don't edit our newspapers from out of town. So if you are running one of our newspapers, it's as close as you'll ever come to owning one without having to sign a note at the bank. You're in charge. Vidal Sassoon used to say with their commercials, if you don't look good, we don't look good. So we want our people looking good, and we try to provide the infrastructure and support to help them succeed. Uh, It's all about people. So we're looking for talent every day. From a leadership perspective, during this time where newspapers were on a rapid decline thanks to the Internet, How are you able to lead your team through this challenging, changing time period? Well, fortunately, we're in the community newspaper business, and we're not hammered in the way that the urban uh, newspapers are. In fact, uh, we're going to do just fine as long as we embrace the new technology and we offer our readers uh, what they're looking for, and and, and our advertisers as well. So we add digital components, and we do all of the things that people expect. But the truth is, the real core of our business is print, because that's what the advertisers, that's what they trust. They know that a quarter-page ad in the paper will will deliver, but they're not real sure what a digital ad will will return them for the investment. But we offer it the same way we offer video and all of the instant updates that people expect. But uh, the print is what pays the bills to make things happen. So backing up, and I'm going to ask both of you this question, you know, starting with Dink and then moving on to Eric, what got you in to this business? And for Eric, what made you get into the family business? I was headed to law school in 1970, and I got a call from my hometown publisher, one of two newspapers, and he said, hey, we already got 22 lawyers in this small town. I don't even like them. He said, if you can raise uh, $50,000, we're about to buy the competing newspaper, and you can run one and I can run the other. Now, what sounds more exciting 
to a 22-year-old. Three more years of beanie weenies and uh, studying or going to run a newspaper in your hometown. So I took a chance, and that's what we did. And once we were able to put the two newspapers together, then we started buying other newspapers. And if we'd kept them all over the last 48 years, we'd have maybe 50 or 60 newspapers. We operate about half that amount today. Because driving to the far reaches of South Carolina is not quite as exciting as it was 30 years ago. So we pulled our footprint into where we were more comfortable. And that, well, having grown up in, in the newspaper, we had a rule in our family that when you could see above the inserting table in the mail room, then you were allowed to work. So about eight years old, I stood on a Coca-Cola crate and inserted the sections of the paper together. So I absorbed a lot of that ink into my blood through my fingertips. And as I went on and finished high school and thought about journalism, of course, uh, my father always told me, son, you can do whatever you want to do. You just need to work at it and do it. So as soon as I graduated from high school, I went back down to Jessup and took an internship at the paper that I grew up in. And I found myself talking with the publisher, asking me, Eric, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'm getting ready to go into college, and I want to be sure that journalism and getting into the newspaper business is what I want to do. So he said, okay, we'll take care of that. And then I soon found myself right back into the mailroom, this time not standing on Coca-Cola crate, but inserting the sections of the paper together uh, with a lot of the same individuals that were working with me you know, 10 years before. And I went through all processes of the paper during that summer. Uh, Mailroom, printing press, printing the paper. And it wasn't until I received my assignment in the newsroom that uh, I went out, wrote the story, uh, did the interview. And, and during that process, when I was able to, to see the name, in print in my own story, I said, this is what I want to do. And so I came to journalism school with a with an idea that, yes, this is what I'm, I'm meant to do, is to work within our communities, and specifically in community journalism, because I believe in the power of what a good newspaper, newspaper can bring to a community. So just as we believe, strong newspapers build strong communities. So it's not about just being... Uh, running a business in the town, we believe that in providing leadership and providing the communication and letting people know what's going on, we're actually leading in that community. We can be the driving force to affect change for good. So this, the name of the company is Community Newspapers. You both have talked about what it means to be a part of a community throughout the interview. So it's evident that this title, as well as the mission, you prioritize what local news means for a community. How does a mission like that withstand time? It's through leadership, local leadership. Again, we, uh, we ask our publishers, our editors, to stand up and be strong because, again, we believe strong newspapers build strong communities. I'll use you, give you an example. For the last 33 months down in Jessup, and because that's where Eric and I both got our starts. Uh, the newspaper uncovered that the second largest waste management company in America was going to dump 10,000 tons of toxic coal ash in our 
community every day. We're talking about millions of tons. And the newspaper stood up and said, no and hell no, this is not going to happen. And we began covering the story. We published three special additions to educate the public without ads. We didn't want anyone to think, well, we're trying to profit from this crisis. So we published three special editions to educate. We called for a community-wide town hall meeting. We even uh, helped organize a community-wide prayer meeting. And I personally have written 91 columns on this since January 2016. Our newspaper has written uh, probably 25 editorials, and we've done dozens and dozens of stories. And we've I've gone to Washington, D.C. to testify before the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, gotten President Jimmy Carter involved because the largest shareholder in the waste management company is Bill Gates, one of the richest men in the world. And we title this a David and Goliath battle circa 2016. And we're here to report that the community got in with us to work. But clearly, we were the leadership that fought back. And in the last 33 months, Charlotte, not one ounce of coal ash has been added to the landfill. And if the newspaper hadn't done it, we would ought to be covered up in toxic waste. And you've watched the the news coverage about uh, Hurricane Florence and the coal ash ponds that have been flooded in the in, in that nasty mercury and lead and beryllium and arsenic is flowing all over the Carolinas. But we're not going to let that happen in Jessup as long as the newspaper is going to press every Wednesday and every Saturday. Dad always has a, a saying that you can tell the sign of a good publisher by the soles of their shoes. If you're out in the community talking to people, that's how you're able to get the stories and and understand what's most important. So as readership habits continue to change, we too must change to meet that. But our core is always going to be community-focused. So So for both of you, if you were starting from scratch, you know, this business venture today, with today's landscape in mind, what would that model look like? Well, that model would be uh, diverse. And I we recognize the impact that all of the technology has has brought about. Uh, and I say this sort of jokingly, but I probably would have on my advisory board a 12- and a 13-year-old to say, what do you see coming next? Because uh, uh, even, I remember back in, in the day, uh, I didn't know how to stop the blinking light on my VCR. Well, you know, people don't even have VCRs in, in, anymore. So uh, we would have to think about uh, the younger generations. Sometimes people ask me, well, what's going to happen to newspapers? I said, well, this business model is going to get me to the nursing home. But we've got enough young guns on our team that they're going to to figure it out. We're going to be in business a long time. The Jessup paper has been in business 153 years. We're the oldest continuously operated business in in Jessup, Georgia, and we intend to be there. Now, how we deliver that news might be different, but I have great confidence in the young guns in our organization to tell me what we need to do to stay relevant. I, I am concerned about people are 
appear to be as interested in just juicy gossip as they are the facts. Uh, just, just look around and see what, 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 what's happening. And our newspapers so many times have to set the record straight wildfires of gossip get going on Facebook and Twitter and other. They're not founded on anything but what they heard. And as my principal in Jessup at Orange Street Elementary said, they say and I heard are the two biggest liars you'll ever meet. Well, they got a lot of that lying going on, and it's our job to be credible because once our newspapers lose their credibility, uh, then then we've lost. We, we've lost. So what's it going to look like? It's going to be complex compared to what it was uh, in, in, in 1971 when I went home and plunked down my borrowed money and got started. So if I had a crystal ball, I could tell you, but who knows? We're just going to try to stay tuned in to what's relevant because when our readers say, we don't need you anymore, then we're, we're, we're out of business. So we're going to stay relevant and stay connected to our markets, our people. You mentioned young guns a lot during the interview. So we're going to switch gears a little bit for the final question, which is which is for those young people like myself who are approaching the journalism industry, looking to their local communities, looking to their newspapers that they grew up with, with sort of nervous eyes. You know, it, things are not looking too optimistic right now, but I'm comforted in how optimistic this interview has been. So what is some advice that you'd have for journalism students about to approach the job market? As I told this Grady graduate uh, Friday over lunch, who's yet trying to decide which direction to go, I said, overnight success takes about 20 years. So don't get in too big a hurry, even though I was born in a hurry. I mean, I really like to get up and go. But if a young journalism graduate could commit two years to working in a community newspaper where they would touch every facet of the news, um, it would be a great foundation, a great launching pad. We're hiring every week quality talent. I told this young man on Friday, I said, we hired a young Grady graduate uh, a few years ago, a few decades ago, and in his first job with us, he was the publisher of a small 3,000 circulation newspaper. In his first year, he was hung in effigy out front from the balcony of the newspaper, and he was also named business leader of the year in that small community. That says he was doing his job. He springboarded from there to run seven of our newspapers in South Carolina. And then after doing that job very well, said, <clears throat> but I'm getting married, and one day we want children, and I want to go back to my hometown, and that's where I really want to get my career launched. And today uh, he has been an, a, a fabulous leader. One of his sons has graduated from Grady, and the other graduates from Terry this year. So... Uh, he made the choice to go back to his hometown, and he's been a leader in the community and the state in every way. So I would say uh, graduate school is a wonderful thing, and, and I would encourage that. It's a, that's on your bucket list of things to do. But somewhere along the way, get a couple of years covering government, covering sports, 
writing obituaries, digging into some investigative reporting, craft your writing skills to the best they can be, and that's a launching pad to go anywhere if journalism is in your soul, and I hope it is. For those that are nervous about the industry, I can understand. Because one of the things that I like to say is while we're wonderful about telling the stories in our community, we're terrible about talking about ourselves and what the newspapers do in the community. Charlotte, um, I think it was Harry Truman, President Truman, said, we must save the small towns because that's where we get our presidents. And we, we, we really believe uh, rural America, small town America is, is the, the heartbeat of this country. And again, there's opportunity. One of the signatures of our legacy at Community Newspapers is identifying young talent. And we like for them to be Grady grads, too. We, we're kind of partial to Grady grads. Uh, in fact, some of our people say, do they have to graduate from the University of Georgia to get a job with C&I? I said, well, it, it kind of helps, but it's not required. But one of our trademarks is finding young talent, putting her or him a little bit over their head in swift water and not letting them drown. And they get so much further along in their career that they'll spend three to five years with us. Uh, they will be a weathered and tested veteran that'll have a resume that uh, will shine anywhere in the country. Thank you for letting us come. Think, Eric. This was a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into The Lead this season. I'm your host, Charlotte Northworthy. This episode was produced with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. We will be back in January with more episodes. And for now, check out our previous episodes with interesting media leaders on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Until next time.